I'm Nicola Fornos of Capital Inc. And I'm delighted to welcome you all to today's one-on-one uh, -on -one discussion. Every day during these three days of our forum, we are hosting uh, an in-depth discussion with a major uh, maritime industry personality on a topic of critical importance for the industry. And I am privileged to have with us uh, Angeliki Franco, the chairwoman and chief executive officer of Navios Maritime Partners, who is going to discuss with Chris Weatherby, the managing director of transportation and shipping research at City, about the recent transform transformative transaction whereby Navios Maritime Partners merged with Navios acquisition, creating the largest publicly listed shipping company in the US and one of the largest in the world, uh, creating a, co a company with over 140 vessels diversified across three main segments, dry bulk, tankers, and containers. And also, uh, this company will no longer depend on the cyclicality and fundamentals of a single sector, thereby providing investors with a different stability and outlook, and also recognizes the critical role of shipping in the broader uh, global supply chain and global commerce. And with this, I will turn over the floor to uh, Angeliki and Chris, and thank you very much for being with us. Thanks, Nicholas. Really appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to join everybody today, and, and I'm very pleased to be joined by Angeliki Frangu. Thanks so much for enjoy, uh, joining us. Um, you know, you and I have known each other for an awfully long time. I think I've covered Navios now for, you know, about 16 years. So it's been a, it's been a long run and a very interesting run. And, you know, it, Nicholas's intro is a perfect way to set up the conversation that we want to have today, which is really starting with the transaction. So maybe, Angeliki, if you could start, give us a little bit of background, sort of Let's see, you know, what was sort of the genesis of this transaction? What was the background and why you ultimately got it together? And then we can dig into some of the details of the deal. Good morning, Chris. And uh, yes, it's a long time we know each other and, uh, and to Nicholas for a nice introduction. Basically, we saw that uh, a large scale company, the, the, the strength of the scale and the diversification is a great advantage. And basically what we did with this is we create NMM today is the number one uh, US listed company, number six globally, uh, with the over 140 vessels in three segments, dry bulk, container, and tankers, about a third of in each segment. We are servicing uh, over, we have 15 types of vessels servicing over 10 uh, end markets. And we have an average on our portfolio, we have about 9.8 years, about 20% below industry average. By creating this large scale company, yes, we have the strength, as I said earlier, of the, uh, of the scale. But the most important advantage we get is the resilience on the diversification, uh, mitigating segment vol uh, volatility and taking advantage, leveraging the fundamentals across sectors, we are able to, we have the following results as a management. Number one, uh, we have better chartering strategy. Take for example, NMM today has about a, a billion six in contracted revenue, a pipeline. This is basically what we did. We took the advantage of the container of the strength of the container segment, and we did this 
multi-year contracts with quality counterparties. And with that, not only we have visibility of earnings, but most importantly, we have a low break-even uh, per open day for our entire fleet. This gives us flexibility on the overall uh, on, and flexibility, and we can optimize our overall earnings. Then we have number two, we have a flexible balance sheet, a flexibility in our balance sheet. And number three, we can we have better optimization of our uh, of, of our uh, acquisition of, of our option for uh, acquisition strategy. And basically, this is we are able to really buy opportunistically assets on the right part. And this is exactly what we did uh, with the last transaction, which is the genesis of the complete company. Uh, we acquired vessels, uh, tanker vessels, opportunistically, and we bought uh, tanker vessels on the low part of the cycle, still value, uh, a, a nice fleet with well-known fleet, quality vessels and block deal on the low part. And we use as a currency, NMMs and AV, which is dry bulk and container vessels in container ships. Basically you got the extra value that you got on the container segment, which is in the, in this year have, we have seen a value expansion of over three and a half times. And you used with the, tankers that were in the low part of the cycle. So the combination not only gave a big advantage to our uh, and a good entry point, uh, entry point for our shareholders, but most importantly, you are able to really capture the, uh, as the recovery uh, enjoy, uh, shareholders can enjoy and unit holders can enjoy as uh, tanker sector recovers and asset values recover the expansion in value. So you have uh, asset recovery that will translate into a, uh, into a share price recovery. Yeah, absolutely. I think those are some really interesting points. And you know, I think one of, the, one of the things that we looked at, um, you know, historically, public shipping companies have generally been pure plays on one of the individual uh, end markets within shipping, whether it be tanker or dry bulk or container. And by mixing the fleet, I think it's an interesting approach because now we have sort of the portfolio approach. So maybe you can talk a little bit about how you might think about deploying capital across this portfolio and maybe be a little bit more strategic depending on where we are in the cycle and how that might ultimately mitigate risk. I think one of the things that we've always sort of been concerned about with public shipping companies is there is a you know, incentive to grow regardless of where we are in the cycle. I think this approach allows you to sort of apply that capital or deploy that capital across, you know, consistently through cycles, because you'll always have something relatively attractive to invest in. But maybe if you can talk a little bit about that portfolio approach of deploying capital in the future. I think this is, is the, this is the one thing that uh, we have been, uh, we have seen in the last 16 years, and it has been very interesting by being able to have a diversified portfolio, different segments, you can take the cash flows that you generate from a healthy part, let's say container ships, you are generating the container sector good cash flows. And you can redeploy that in a sector which is uh, uh, in the low part of the cycle. So that definitionally allows you to enter, at a, to get a better entry point. And at the end of the story, you will also provide better results because you will actually see that asset value appreciate. And you know generally we'll see also share prices appreciate. So you get, 
instead of really take for example if we had uh, a single uh, as a, a single segment company you remember we we have seen numerous of these companies in our, uh, you know in this model this is basically a challenge model because for example a single entity uh, segment uh, company will let's say it has a 50% finance on the uh, high part of uh, on the high point of the cycle when that uh, when the segment goes to a low part of the cycle you will be all over leverage over 90% that means that uh, you will have an over leverage balance sheet then uh, most probably you have anemic cash flows and basically you are not going to be able to get bank finance to acquire an asset so you are basically unbankable at that point most probably the banks will even restrict you to do transactions so you are basically you are not going to buy a vessel on the low part of the cycle which will create more asset appreciation and you will be and most and a lot of times you will be obliged to even sell assets on the absolute wrong time of the cycle solidifying the losses for your investors instead on the multi-sector approach you are able to take this cash flow as i said earlier and redeploy it from the segments that are healthy and they are doing well and redeploy it in a segment where you see it at, that is in the low part and get, get a good entry point and create this asset uh, appreciation later on I think this is basically the difference. Yeah, that's a very good point. And, and one I wanted to pick up a little bit on the leverage too, because you, you, you brought that up. And, and obviously that, that sort of dynamic of not being able to invest through the cycle and maybe at the most opportune points of the cycle when you have a pure play enterprise because of the, you know, the, the leverage that's ultimately generated higher when asset values drop at the bottom of the cycle, I think is a really interesting point. Um, you know, I, I guess when you think about what the appropriate leverage levels are for a portfolio approach shipping company like you now have, what do you think they are relative to where they were before? Are they basically the same and you just have more mitigation to the downside because when tankers are down, containers might be up and so the LTVs will sort of balance themselves out? I think that the leverage should be somewhere below 30%, around 30 to 20 to 30%. You need to do that because no matter what, you need the flexibility on the balance sheet. We have seen it, I mean, in numerous examples that this is the right way so that it gives you the most flexibility to do investments on the right part where you can produce uh, uh, you know, a value expansion and a price expansion. So I, I, I think that this is a necessary, uh, low leverage is a key driver for shipping. Yeah. Of course, having different segments will provide you the ability to create contracted revenue and that will give you visibility. But no matter what, I think the leverage should be low because the volatility of the segment is quite significant. That makes sense. So, um, go ahead. And, and a large fleet or, or you know, the, the, the large scale provides you also an additional benefit, the strength of the large scale. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And so, you know, one of the things that we were thinking about in the context of having this um, larger fleet that crosses multiple end markets 
is the potential to actually show some of the operating leverage and sort of the operating acumen, if you will, of the management team. So a lot of companies talk about having relatively low, you know, daily OPEX and, and being relatively tight with the way that they spend their GNA dollars. Um, so maybe you can talk a little bit about that, how you've always sort of approached that with, I think, a very professional and, and very sort of, you know, operationally uh, strong manner by having relatively low break even rates. But I think that's something that maybe could shine through in a, a little bit more so uh, post the deal. So maybe talk a little bit about how you think about that sort of daily OPEX and sort of those relatively low break evens trying to keep them low and being able to show that over time over a lot more days of having a much larger mixed fleet. You know, as you know, we always concentrated in uh, uh, operating expenses and um, managing that. This has been a, a real theme of Navios and we uh, concentrate on that. This is our operational, operational performance. And I think there's two things on that. The low break even, you achieve it with low operating expenses, but most importantly, by having a better chartering strategy today, by having different segments, you are able to actually charter vessels on the strong uh, segments, let's say containers, as we have done today, create visible cash flows that provide a lower break even on your overall fleet. That is critical. Um, on what we have done now with the three segments, and if you do the calculation, you realize that our break-even per open day is quite significantly low, is, is low. And if you compare it, that we have, let's say the tanker segment that basically is in the low part, that gives us a different ability on uh, really fixing our vessels. We, we can have the vessels that are in, the, in, in, a, in a segment that is not performing very well, you can actually do short duration. So you can optimize your earnings. The low break-even has two ingredients, your contracted revenue and also your low operating expense. That is, this is something that every shipping company should concentrate. Absolutely. Yeah, we certainly would appreciate that if, uh, if we saw that kind of consistently across the sector, um, or across the industry. So let's, let's sort of move on a little bit. And I, I want to talk about sort of the evolution of the business over the last 15 years. As I mentioned at the front, we've been covering Navios for a very long time. And so we've seen, you know, multiple cycles, though. But, you know, maybe what, one of the things that I thought would be interesting to get is your, your takeaway of what you've learned through this. I, th I think some of your learnings are evident in what your strategy is with the combined companies. But could you talk sort of about the arc of the business? We started with a point where we were breaking the businesses up, going from a conglomerate approach, which you started with, to individual pure plays. And now we're kind of putting things back together. So kind of what influenced your decision as you went through that process? I think in the beginning, I mean, there's, we will say one thing the time of uh, the five vessels uh, in the water, three new buildings and a single sector is out. I mean, and at that time it was not a single sector, it was a sub-segment. I think that is out. At that time, I think that maybe the market was not ready and the investors, today there's more sophistication on the uh, investors and they can, uh, they can see the global, um, uh, I mean, basically what we are creating is a, a proxy for the global trade and the global economy. So I think you need a large scale. The diversification helps because then you can approach different segments and can have uh, more even returns, even though you have different uneven performances. So there will always be a place for capital markets. I think this is an, a necessary because 
investors will like to have an exposure on the uh, on the global trade and i think that is not going to change in the foreseeable future but uh, the model that we used to have of this single sector small scale i don't think that there's going to be any time uh, we're going to be seeing that anymore yeah yeah that certainly seems like that's the case and and i think it's probably for the best i think ultimately getting some scale in shipping is really important. That's the one thing we hear from investors probably most prominently is the lack of relative size and scale and market cap to invest in. So I think this certainly will help. And, and I think along those lines, I'd be curious to get your take on, on how you think the banks view the sort of future of shipping and the potential for some more meaningful consolidation amongst the public companies. Is this something that they would certainly support? It would ima- I would imagine you become a stronger credit when you go to this portfolio approach um, you know, with your fleets. But can you talk a little bit about sort of how the banks might or may or may not influence your decisions around that? You know, diversification definitely makes a better credit for the banks. And that is something that we see uh, that they see as a, a net benefit. You are able to leverage better, you create a, a, a different cash flows. I mean, definitely that is a driver and we have seen it on private companies and it's inevitable you will see it in the, if, if the model works on the private, it definitely concedes the point that it works in the public market. So basically this is a, 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 an area where it makes sense and and we we can see that uh, the the credit of a diversified portfolio creates a much better scenario overall. Yeah, absolutely. No, that makes sense. And I guess what's your take in terms of the amount of you know maybe financing or bank activity that's in the market? You have always been very good uh, at leveraging very strong relationships with banks, kind of globally to be able to sort of be in a position to take advantage of cycles and ultimately be able to uh, avoid, you know, meaningful issues from, you know, credit perspective. But, you know, what does the sort of, you know, credit landscape look like today in terms of, you know, players? Are we still down quite a bit in terms of the capacity of banks to lend? Is it beginning to come back? Can you talk a little bit about what your perspective is there? I think that uh, the commercial banking has changed the landscape. I mean, you don't have as many banks. You don't, uh, you know, there is less German banks. There is less uh, European banks. Basically, Europeans is the only banks that are really lending uh, majorly. What it has been added is the uh, sales banks, the Chinese and the Japanese uh, uh, leasing companies that is an, an addition a, a new area of financing that is coming but is not as flexible i mean you need definitely commercial banks in the ingredients so on that aspect you need to be careful you have to have more uh, conservative approach and more less you know less leverage because it is actually the pool of banks are, is uh, smaller and you will you will need to you know basically use also the leasing companies that is another ingredient yeah okay no that makes sense so let's talk a little bit about what you sort of think about the 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 future of shipping in the capital markets i think that's sort of what we wanted to kind of touch on to wrap up here is to understand you know do you think that the a, a, a transaction like this has the potential to influence the way others think about sort of the, the their shipping companies and, and would you expect to see future consolidation within the industry? I think definitely 
large scale is something that we can say that there is no that this is part of our landscape today. So large scale is here. I think diversification makes sense. And that is something that will add to the best, uh, better returns for our investors, because you will be better allocation of, uh, uh, you know, better allocation of assets, better acquisition and better strategy on, uh, on your uh, chartering strategy. So for me, that is something that is inevitable to grow. And the other thing that I, uh, that I find very important is that institutional investors will like the scale and I believe they will invest in the maritime in shipping companies that is basically a proxy for global trade and the global economy. After all, we see strong growth, global growth, and it does make sense. I mean, the last 15 years that uh, we know each other, we have seen uh, dry bulk and container, uh, container trade just on, on volumes or TUs have doubled. And mm -hmm. if you take the ton mile demand, have more than double. So this is an area you cannot just eliminate it. So the best proxy for global trade and economy is uh, shipping companies. And I do believe large scale and a diversified portfolio is the way forward. Yeah, no, that, that certainly makes sense. And I guess, you know, it, it always strikes me that shipping can be an extraordinarily lucrative business for folks in the private world, right? So private shipping companies and fleets, where maybe there isn't this necessarily this scrutiny from the outside world. So I, I guess it, it makes sense to, to that, that that type of approach can work in the public markets. I think ultimately, what do you think is the most important thing for this type of company to be successful? Is it just to be able to show profits through cycles or are there other aspects that you think investors or other folks will measure more closely to determine whether or not what you're doing here is successful? Actually, it's not different than anything else in the capital, in the, in the capital markets. You, see, you have to see total returns. And what we have to show is that we can be good stewards of the capital, getting good cash flows, from the strong sectors and reallocating using this cash to buy assets and, uh, and opportunistic acquisitions on the low part of the cycle where you can not only have a good entry point, but basically allow for your investors to have further value expansions as the sector recovers is a big, I think this is the challenge and that, that's where we will be uh, judged. And also, you know, this, asset allocation, reallocation of the cash flows. This is where the single asset company where you just bought vessels uh, on, the, on the way up because you couldn't buy on the bottom of the market because you're over leveraged and try uh, and basically chase the assets as they you know, basically become overpriced. I think this is not the way forward. I think the, there was, you have seen the way investors are looking at shipping today, which is basically as an ETF. You live and die by the cycle. This is not the way forward. I think we need to bring the new model, which is basically better allocation and total returns for your investors because of the way you, uh, uh, you buy and the way you position the company. Yeah, it, it would seem to me that uh, if successful, this new entity could look a lot like some of the other 
industrial companies that I cover outside of shipping with a diversified portfolio, the ability to potentially grow through cycles and generate strong returns with a reasonable amount of operating leverage and financial leverage. And, and so I think that is an interesting dynamic. And if you have the opportunity to grow it, I think the the, uh, the audience gets fairly large for those over time. So I, I think it's really interesting. We were really appreciate your, your time today, Angelique. I thought this was a really interesting conversation, certainly a, a, a potentially transformative transaction. So we're glad we're able to highlight that with you. It's been our pleasure to join everybody today. And Angelique, thanks so much for joining us. This was a great conversation. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Chris. Well, we have end. to be back to the, to the mainstream again. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I'd love to be back in person soon, too. Yeah. Well, from my end, I'd like to thank you both for a great uh, and very insightful discussion. Uh, following up on the closing comments of Chris, the investor universe is a huge universe and uh, different investors follow different strategies. And I think what investors really want is options. And clearly, Angeliki, you're offering them, as you mentioned, a new model, a new option, uh, very different. So uh, I think it's, it's a great uh, idea what you're doing and uh, we all look forward to seeing how this will unfold. And it will unfold very well, I hope. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you.